0: we got some big ones and i've had several mako sharks push me off the boat <laughs> like i we off,
1: off the boat into the water
0: i was safer to go in the ocean than be on a boat with that fish
2: <laughs> why do you watch those shows like all, all you do is and then sharks are on your brain all the time
1: but you want to understand them i mean
2: yeah that's that's what i say but i mean cuz at the end of the day you don't know if you're going to get in And a freaking 20 foot great white isn't going to race in and cut you in half right at that moment that you enter the water. There's always the risk. It does happen. It is a fact.
3: And the woman looked at my nail and she was like, uh, what happened? And I'm like, I got bit by an eel and she's like, ah, what?
1: Welcome to the Teeth Podcast. Wild animal attack stories firsthand from the survivors. My name is Jeremy Carberry. I am a wilderness guide, a wildlife photographer, and your host. Today we are doing a special bonus episode, kind of a recap of season one that I'm calling Funniest Moments. There's going to be some spoilers, so if you haven't listened to all seven episodes in season one, I'd recommend do that first and then come back to this one. Also going to get into some behind-the-scenes moments, um, kind of getting into a little bit of the process of what goes into finding, interviewing people, and editing these stories together. I started doing these interviews in 2020 and uh, have been pretty much just going non-stop. Um, and just want to say thank you so much to the people that took time out of their lives, usually a few hours, to uh, let me interview them. So uh, here we go. First one. In episode one, I got in touch with Paul Romanowski on a spearfishing group online because he survived a seven gill shark attack. This especially caught my attention because I had never even heard of anyone being attacked by a prehistoric looking shark that usually lives so far down on the bottom of the ocean that they don't even interact with people. And when I say the bottom of the ocean, not like 60 feet, 20 meters down bottom of the ocean. I'm talking about bottom of the ocean that is over a mile deep or a couple kilometers. Down there is another planet entirely. It's dark and cold and there are all these creatures no one has ever even seen before. That's where Seven Girl sharks live, unless they come into shallower water and bite Paul Romanowski. I remember I pulled up to his neighborhood in Orange County And I wasn't really sure I had the right house. And I hear this guy behind a house saying something like, See, you didn't listen and now you have to do it all over again. (laughs) It reminded me of working with my dad on fun building projects and repair projects when I was a kid. My dad would be holding up and positioning a large board with both hands while simultaneously holding a hammer. And then would yell, Jeremy, hand me a nail but i would be off watching a spider in the bushes or chasing a toad so back behind the house i'm walking up to sure enough there's a dad trying to set his son straight as they work on some cabinets or something back there so i'm kind of awkwardly approaching and trying to get his attention as he's as he's uh reprimanding his son and i say sorry to interrupt but i'm looking for paul and I don't, I don't know if you can really hear this in the edit of the interview, but Paul's not an especially warm and fluffy character out the gate, especially when he's in the middle of yelling at his kid. So he's kind of just like, yeah, yeah, go inside and set up and I'll be in in a bit. I got to deal with this first. So this was my first or one of my first interviews and I had literally no structure or even idea of what questions to ask. I was just fascinated that this guy survived a seven girl shark attack and I figured that would be enough so I set up but my microphone wasn't working for some reason and I was getting all frustrated but just decided as long as I was recording him that was good enough so let's just do it after he gets done working working on the cabinet with his kid he comes in and uh, he starts talking and I'm just kind of going with the flow but It was pretty obvious I was not a spear fisherman at the time and I didn't know a lot of the info and jargon or even have a plan for the interview with this essentially complete stranger. I couldn't tell if he was annoyed with me or at his kid or both, but he started talking about growing up in Hawaii and then moving to California in his younger years. When he started talking about these things, his demeanor changed a little and softened a little and I felt like we were connecting. That's when he told me the story of when he was working on a commercial fishing boat out of Newport Beach, California. When I worked on sport fishing boats
0: uh, in another era, right, you're going way back in time, like 1986, 1987, when I'm a teenager. And I was working on the California Dawn when we had brought the boat down from Westport, Washington and fishing it out of Davies Locker. And we did shark trips. And so we'd catch, you know, we took customers out. We'd take a max of 15 people on the boat. You set up a drift and you start catching sharks. We caught lots of blue sharks and we caught a couple of threshers here and there, but we didn't fish threshers the right way, so we this didn't is catch a lot. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we catch them. Uh, we caught a couple threshers, but we didn't fish them the right way. We didn't troll them. We didn't drag live baits much. we were just throwing chunks of meat over the side and waiting for sharks to come up. But we did catch quite a few Makos and we got some bruisers. We got some big ones. And I've had, Several Mako sharks pushed me off the boat. Like, I we
1: off off the boat into the
0: water. I was safer to go in the ocean than be on the boat with that fish. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, one of the first real big ones we brought up, we gaffed one, and the boss said, Put a gaff in it in the bow and we'll drag it down to the back of the boat. This is about a 200 250 pound Mako, it's a big fish. And I'm a real fat guy back then, probably about a hundred and 25 pounds six feet tall beanpole right I'm a stick and so I yeah I'm full of full of piss and vinegar and I reach over and I pop this thing with the gaff and the boss is getting ready to shoot it and as soon as I hit it with the gaff the shark comes out of the water because Mako's will jump and I hit it we thought it was fairly tired and you'd be wrong and it come up, and, and I pulled back instinctively on the gaff. I just pulled back on the gaff and dragged that thing into the bow of that boat with me. And oh, it's an wow. open bow rail boat. It wasn't like an enclosed bow, like on the if you go on the Freelance or the First String or some of the other big boats. It's an enclosed bow with a with a wooden plank rail. This is an open deck with a metal bow rail around it. And so that shark promptly broke the gaff, right, and sm- and smacked the heck out of me with it. And then it was me and that thing in the bow of the boat. And it s- basically spun around and it starts smashing the railing. And I mean bending the rail with its tail, just smashing into everything. And it wound up with the business end of the shark pointed towards me and I was in the water. That was that. I didn't. I didn't need any more prompting. I was just back. I just did a half backflip straight over the rail or something, and I was gone. I was like, "Yep,
1: not staying here." It's hilarious to me that Paul made a split second decision to go and be in the shark's natural habitat, the ocean, instead of being on the boat. After my interview with Paul. Paul's son came in from working on the cabinets and was talking with me and his dad about how much fun he has smoking fish with his dad. I was in northern Idaho area in 2021 and had heard about a guy who survived a grizzly bear attack, and then once he healed up, was right back out in bear country hunting elk and skiing, and when I say, uh, survived, I should say barely survived (laughs) pun intended. I reached out to Bob Lagasa in a short request for an interview. And I remember I specifically said I wanted to talk to him about how he got back out into the woods after going through such a terrifying ordeal of having this grizzly bear bite through his arm and almost rip his eye out of his face. I knew that he had received a lot of death threats from all over and that he probably doesn't just meet with anyone, so I tried to be really specific and instead of just saying, can I talk to you about when the bear bit you, did it hurt? I tried to, you know, focus on the, I wanted to know how he got back out there. Like, what did he, <laughs> how did he get over that fear? Um, none of the other interviewers asked him that, that I had heard. And um, there are a lot of podcasts that go through accounts of animal attacks and read what other interviewers have already asked a survivor and that can be fascinating, but I wanted to cover stories that either haven't been told in the media, like Paul Romanowski's Seven Gill uh Shark Attack, or cover stories that um in a way that's that was different than what somebody else had already interviewed. So that was kind of my angle that I wanted to come at it from and most of the people that I reach out to never respond back, which is completely fine. Nobody owes me an interview or even owes me a response. I'm I'm good with that. So Whenever Bob Lagasa did respond back, I was really, really happy and excited and uh, drove out to Coeur d'Alene. So um, going into the Bob Lagassa interview, I had a much better idea of what works um, because I had been spending a lot of time editing other interviews and um, was like had like bullet points and also tried to steer the conversation towards stuff that I knew I was going to use in the interview instead of just you know letting him ramble. Well, I don't know that I would have done that, but, you know, just trying to... I, I was a little more concise with my interview techniques for this one. Um, and I think it paid off. A lot of people who listened to this one said they really liked it, and it was even their favorite episode, which always feels really good to hear. And then uh, also gives me energy and confidence to to jump into editing the next story, which there's always just a bunch of stories that I need to edit. So sometimes I need a little bit of uh, motivation to get into it so whenever you guys uh, whether it's in a review or an email or however you know you send in, in compliments or say that you enjoyed it it really helps me because putting on a podcast that's you know I'm not getting on a stage in front of people it's it's a virtual platform so I don't really know even even though the you know podcast numbers show up this many people listen to it like that doesn't feel like it's a real thing so appreciate all of the love and feedback. So, um, funny, there are a lot of funny moments with, with Bob Lagasa. He's, he's a, a wonderful person and really funny to talk to and has a bunch of, uh, uh, just a great personality. Um, one, one of the favorites when I was talking to him was when he, um, he had been attacked and then he said that he called his wife and he's like, so I told my wife, I got a you know, attacked by a grizzly bear. But, but I didn't want to freak her out. <laughs> and I was just cracking up about that. Like, how do you, how do you, I, I literally asked him, how do you tell your wife you were attacked by a grizzly bear without freaking her out? But um, that's not the moment I'm going to use. The one I'm going to use is when Bob gets to the hospital after being attacked by the grizzly bear, you um, find out. He's going to be there for a few days to drain all the bacteria um, and whatnot from his wounds, specifically his bones, because the, the grizzly bear's tooth bit through the bone and the tooth has all this bacteria. Um, because they can't operate on him until you know they get all that bacteria out, so he finds this out lets his lets his family know that he's going to be there for a while so this is what happens uh, My two daughters and my wife drove over that that afternoon and that's a that's a drive that's a, about a five and a half hour drive
3: yeah. i'm I'm a prankster and you know it's you know it's if somebody in my family is, you know sick or something you know I try and you know, make, make it as lighthearted as possible, you
1: know, make jokes, tease them, whatever it might be. Well, they show up to the hospital with, they'd stopped at, uh, some convenience store on the highway and got me gummy bears, um, huckleberry or grizzly huckleberry bears, uh, bear claws, everything that was bear related, they brought <laughs> in there. So it was, it was pretty funny. That's awesome. Sounds like a good family. <laughs> Making light of an otherwise bad situation is Bob Lagasse's love language. And his family know that more than anyone else. And even though Bob was just nearly killed by a bear, they knew just what to do to cheer him up. I'm sure Bob also didn't want his family worried about him and sad. Then they show up with all these silly bear gifts, laughing and smiling and making fun of their dad, which is exactly what he needed to put a smile on his face and feel loved. The Moray Eel Attack survivor, Elise, is the only person that I knew before interviewing them for the, the podcast. Um, I love when people tell me what they think of episodes, and this was the most polarizing episode. I was It was either everyone's favorite episode or some, someone's least favorite episode. Nothing in between. And that's probably appropriate because that is also what elise is like in real life you you love her right away and she's your best friend or you run in the other direction (laughs) and i don't think she's offended by either response Um, after her finger healed up from the moray eel well mostly healed up there was still this mangled extra section of her finger hanging off and i think she called it her extra finger or something I was, I was around for the whole healing process, and it, it became apparent that this finger is just not going to heal up correctly. Um, it's actually reproducing into a new baby finger. <laughs> so this is a story of uh, what happened a few months after the attack when she had that extra section of her finger sticking out. And also an update from Elise. Um, years, years after this attack happened, that extra chunk of her finger that just kind of dangled off there finally fell off just this past year. And uh, so she said, make sure you let your listeners know. I'm going to get into the clip, but I want to set some context first, just so you know who Elise is. I once followed her into a very long and narrow sea cave on kayaks that I had never been into before and it was a day where there was some big long period swell and when that swell hit the cave it was so big that it blocked out the little bit of light that was coming in things got black and it turned into a washing machine with water just going in every which direction i was afraid for my life but elise is hooting and hollering having the time of her life Elise is more rough and tumble than most male guides that I know, but she also very much has a feminine side. And this next story combines the two of them hilariously in a nail salon. A moray eel attacking a freediver, hunting for scallops 20 plus miles, 33 kilometers from civilization, and some ladies getting their nails done in the safety of an air-conditioned indoors salon, you would think are completely different worlds that would never cross.
3: So I, I teach also. Um, so I like having my nails done during the school year. Cause you have your hand under the docu cam a lot. You want nice nails. So I went to the nail salon and I was kind of anxious. I was like, well, I don't even know how they're going to deal with this. And the woman looked at my nail and she was like, uh, what happened? And I'm like, I got bit by an eel and she's like, ah, oh, what? And I'm like, an eel? She's like, I don't know what that is. And I had to like pull up a picture of her. I was like this. She's like, oh, and, like, freaks out, you know? And, uh, and then when you get a gel manicure, I don't know if you know this cause you're a dude, but they go in with, um, like clippers and little wedges and like deal with your cuticle and stuff and like clip your cuticle. And I was like, please don't touch my ear finger. Like I was so freaked out. It was still pretty fresh like a few months later and I was like please don't touch it like I was really really scared about it uh now I get my nails done and I'm like don't worry I'll just hold it up for you and I like literally like hold up the little flap and they paint under it and they're like okay but also I go to the same nail person now so they know it I show up they're like oh Elise and I'm like yeah what up
1: in episode five I got in touch with Jason Tiller and he is a professional spear fisherman down in Florida, the Florida Keys. Once Jason Tiller starts talking, it's off to the races and you kind of just grab some popcorn and are along for the ride. This was one of the first interviews I did in 2020 and also had no idea of what I was trying to get, but hopefully the story kind of came together in editing. Fortunately, Jason is effortlessly hilarious in a very matter of fact kind of way being attacked by a giant bull shark is most people's nightmare Um, being stuck 100 feet on the bottom of the ocean or 30 meters down is another classic nightmare that people have and his story combines both of those. (laughs) (laughs) both of those nightmares but it takes a minute to set the context and i try not to lose the listener before we get into the action so in editing i try to front load the stories with something that the subject says that is funny and kind of makes the listener care about what happens to the main character right away if someone makes me laugh i'm more interested and invested so i just assume that's how other people are too The reason I'm talking about editing so much is because 80, 90% of the work I put into the podcast is editing the story together, trying to make it flow, trying to make it make sense. What I ended up using as the start of the episode is Jason talking about his dive buddies in Florida, giving him crap about always learning about sharks.
2: So I've watched shows on sharks and stuff. I watch those shows, which is stupid for anybody listening to this. If you're planning on diving and stuff like that. Stop watching Shark Week. Just dead Shark Week. You don't do it to yourself. It just makes it worse. I, I, my friends are always telling me that because I got I, was pulling out all these factoids and stuff. And they're like, why do you know? It? Oh, I watch this show and shark. Why do you watch those shows? Like so all, all you do is and now sharks are on your brain all the time.
1: But you want to understand them. I mean
2: yeah, that's that's what I say, but uh, you still. I mean, because at the end of the day, You don't know if you're going to get in and a freaking 20-foot great white isn't going to race in and cut you in half right at that moment that you enter the water. There's always the risk. It does happen. It is a fact. They're even here, dude. We have great whites here. We're not even supposed to have them here.
1: Everyone who gets in the ocean on a regular basis, myself included, we know that there are big sharks like great whites that can kill you and occasionally do. But – We just think it we think it subconsciously it's it's back there nobody says it out loud and then gets in the water except jason the story i put the most work into by far was the alligator attack story of jeffrey heim he was not talking to any press when i reached out to him A few months after the attack because of death threats he was receiving. Unfortunately, that's a theme that these guys who barely survive these brutal ordeals and then get media coverage then have to deal with these nutcases online, sending them and their families death threats. Because of this, I was really surprised and happy he agreed to talk to me, Um, especially because I didn't even have a podcast out yet. I'm just a completely random person. Um, when I got to his place in Tampa, Florida, and was setting up, he was asking me about what it's like to work with humpback whales in Hawaii, so he actually looked me up to see what my deal was before agreeing to to chat with me, which was pretty cool and it kind of worked out. I got lucky. I think because he hadn't really told his story to any media in a while, I was in the right place at the right time for him to kind of open up emotionally which I notice is pretty rare, especially for men to be vulnerable, talking to a complete stranger, (laughs) knowing it's going to be broadcasted out to the world. Or maybe he thought that, you know, this was just a little, little tiny podcast. Nobody's going to listen to it. Either way, it worked out. So when it does happen and when he does get vulnerable and really, you know, talk about what it was like to go through almost dying, it's really powerful. And one of those moments was when Jeffrey was laying on the grass, feeling all of his energy leave his body right after being bit, and he was literally bleeding out of his head. He knew that his head was split open and was reflecting on what it was like to be at death's door and convince that his life was over.
4: Just having no control over that was crazy to me, like I could have died right there and you know, there would have been this whole big thing afterwards, but, like, that's all it was. I would have just died, and that would have been the end of
1: it. Yeah, most people don't have those experiences. Like, it's how would you describe that? Uh, of just be, having no, absolutely no control? You, you were at peace with it? Like, you were just like, this is how it is? I would have is. just
4: gone. I didn't have the pro- time to process any thoughts. It would have just been like, that's it. Nothing else. Yeah. Like, that taught me a little bit about death i guess um yeah it was never would have been any pain from an alligator attack like people probably it is an obviously violent and extreme way to go but at that point in time it wasn't it was just like this is the end I stayed awake. Thank God. I remember everything. I remember my conversations in the ambulance. Uh, the ambulance got there pretty quickly. I called my parents. My dad called me a dumbass, and my mom was freaking out.
1: <laughs> I think I laughed when he told me that, and I just kind of edited edited it out. But every time I hear that, like the first part is is gut-wrenching you know, looking, looking death in the eyes. And then he just contrasts it with this story of, you know, calling his parents and, oh man, cracks me up. It's definitely something my dad would say. That episode uh, I put out quite like a year later after the others. And I was so excited about it because I put a lot of, a lot of work into it, um, did a lot of research kind of. Tied in all these different elements and to try to make it whatever, you know And uh, I thought like this is this is it This is gonna be the one that gets people listening to this podcast and I put it out and a couple people listened to it But the people who listened to the first Four or five episodes did not listen to this one And I couldn't figure it out like this this episodes clearly Has a lot of production value and put a lot of work into it and it's just the the craziest story I've heard, you know how do you get bit underwater in your head and survive? It's just absurd and amazing, and people were like, "Yeah, I don't listen to that one." And then I realized, well, how do I listen to podcasts? How do I watch TV shows? How do I consume media? And I get on a roll. I'll, I'll find something that I like and I, I listen to it like on a regular basis whenever I'm driving or whenever I'm whatever, folding laundry. And then if there's no episodes for a while, I kind of forget about it. It gets pushed down in the queue and then I move on to something else. And then if that same show or podcast puts out another episode or another season, I'm not necessarily jumping right back into it right away um it kind of gets lost in the shuffle and i realize i think that's what's happening i think i'm putting out these episodes sporadically they're getting lost in the shuffle the people that would like to listen to it just it just you know doesn't show up on their radar so to kind of test that theory i tried to get more listeners And started going on a lot of other podcasts like the What Was That Like podcast, the Adventure Sports podcast, and a few others that were really generous to have me on and also got me a lot more listeners to my podcast. And those listeners that were coming in were loving the alligator episodes, So it kind of validated me like, okay, the the stuff that I'm putting work on is making these stories better it's just i need to be more consistent with putting these episodes out so i've been recording a lot of interviews and editing a lot of interviews but have not released any of them because i'm waiting to put them all out together in a season two right now it's looking like about 10 episodes about double the first season and I'm pretty much, you know, trying to get a couple more people to uh, subscribe and listen to the podcast. So then, when that, whenever that season two does come out, there's actually people to listen to it, not just kind of releasing these episodes into the void. And in the meantime, if you want to let me know which of the season one episodes were your favorite, um, the best way to do that was go into one of the, whatever your podcast app is, and leave a review. And, and if you specifically say in the review, bull shark episode was my favorite, um, alligator episode was my favorite, that just that, you know, three words, four word alligator episode was my five words, just those five words, that's a unique um, sentence. And the algorithm Realizes, okay, this is not like a bot or fake person. It's actually a real person leaving a real review that has actually listened to this podcast. And they uh, they bumped that podcast up. So since I've been going on other podcasts and uh, trying to promote, the Teeth podcast is now a top 5% show in the world of of the you know all the podcasts that exist the teeth podcast right now is in the top five percent which is which feels really good and i think if i keep uh trucking away at this and keep going and, and and doing stories that i think are really powerful i think uh this could turn into something all right that's it funniest moments from season one I'm going back to editing all of the amazing stories for season two, which is coming out this year in 2024. I'm really excited for you guys to hear these stories and you can help us get to season two faster if you leave a review with your favorite episode so far, because that helps get the podcast attention so then I can work on editing instead of promoting. The most difficult aspect of making the podcast is not making it at all it's finding people to listen to it so if you have left a review or told a friend about the show i am so so grateful to you the teeth podcast music is by davy Chegwiden and joshua lopez the show is produced by scott neary and myself i'm jeremy carberry i hope you get a chance to get outside today and get some fresh air while giving all the wildlife the space and respect they deserve